Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Glad that you're here this morning, and uh, I hope that you'll join me in Isaiah chapter 26. Uh, I've got some exciting things to share as we get a new series uh, started on this first Sunday of the new year. Uh, Most people, well, at least that have any age on them at all, begin to think about New Year's resolutions, though I don't hear about those as often as as I did uh, growing up, of course. People do have kind of, I don't know, something about January, it's kind of like Mondays, it's like a fresh start, a new thing, uh, or maybe, you know, we'll start tomorrow morning, but not this afternoon, or start Monday, but not Saturday, and we're going to start in January, not October. Uh, so there's this sense of anticipation and excitement about starting something new, but not right now. That's something that we look for, maybe a goal or a dream, or maybe wants that we want expectations that we that we have uh, things that we plan to change, and uh, there's there's a sense typically of of excitement, and uh, you know uh, not not to be a, a history teacher, but <clears throat> Janus is the uh, Roman god J A N U S uh, is the Roman god of transitions. Uh, Janus is the, uh, the Roman god who, who has two faces. He looks forward and he looks backward at exactly the same time. Uh, and uh, he was the, according to the Romans, the god of the beginning and the ending. He was the god of war and, at the same time, the god of peace. And so he brought things to completion and set the stage for transitions for new things. Not that I want you to remember that all too well, but we've adopted the Roman calendar. And so our first month of the year is January, named after the Roman god of transitions. So it's not new for us to have high expectations of the month of January, high expectations, because for at least 2,000 years, maybe longer, there has been this sense of, you know, when the new year starts, I have different expectations. I hope that the new year brings about peace to end the war that I just came through. But here's the truth of the matter. Every year has January. Every year, the the hope and the expectation that we have of the coming year, I'm just telling you, this time next year, we're going to be considering changing the very things that we considered changing this year but didn't get to. Uh, it's the way that we work. And, and the goal is then, I, and I believe that it is the ultimate goal of every human being, is to pursue peace. I think everyone truly wants to be at peace. Some pursue peace by winning war. Some pursue peace by not joining in war and living life in a corner. Some people uh, pursue peace in one way and another peace person pursues peace in another way. But the truth of the matter is we all want and desire to live in peace. And so we have enthusiasm and we have excitement, not because of a new year, but we hope that 2022 will put an end to 2021. The truth of the matter is we hoped that 2021 would put an end to 2020. 
And it didn't. All it does is continue to expose one thing. This world and any government thereof cannot possibly produce the peace that our hearts are pursuing. It is not possible. And if it's not, so whatever peace that you gain from winning in this world is going to be temporary peace. It cannot possibly sustain. And so, with that being said, if we want to live at an elevated peace, then we have to, we have to begin at an elevated origin. And so I want you to turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 26. And while you do, while you do turn to Isaiah 26, uh, I, I want to just give you some real quick verses of Scripture that I find interesting. Because peace is the most sought-after uh, uh, characteristic that, of the human heart, the, the, the biggest missing ingredient too. In fact, I would say that because there is a lack of peace... That's why we live in fear and anxiety and worry and nervousness. And that's why we rush toward things uh, hoping that they satisfy us at a different level. And, and they won't. It's because of the absence of peace. Uh, it's why we uh, uh, experience disappointment and why we experience frustration and anxiety and, and despair and the, the fear of being left out. And, and why I believe social media is on the rise is not so much you're caring about what everybody else is doing, but you want everybody else to see your highlight reel. That's not true. You're trying to prove to people that you're at peace. And all it does is it causes this sense of loss. And so peace in Scripture is a collaboration of the perfect union that we find in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting in Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read just a couple of verses before we get to Isaiah 26. But uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says, Now may the God of... I'm going to give you, I'll give you a little test. May the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16, 20, the God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and will be with you. Philippians 4, 9, The things that you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of will be with you. Hebrews 13, 20, Now may the God of who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Now when you get to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. What is it? Prince of Peace. And so we know that the Father is the God of peace. We know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we also know, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We can go on and list the others, but for now that settles the point. That, that peace resides in the perfect union of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this collaborative effort to enjoin peace into every fiber and every fabric of who we are, whether we're uh, in, in our bodies, there is peace in Christ. In our mind, there is peace in the Spirit. And eternally, there is peace in the Father. And so Peace is that one thing that unites the, uh, the Trinity, among other things, but it's that one thing for us that really resonates that we find satisfaction in. 
So as we look at Isaiah 26, we see that peace then seems to be an ultimate goal of living, a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus promises to leave it for those who will follow him. It's the craving. Now there are substitute cravings, but I think if you will just look through the things that you desire and want and the goals of your life, if you will look through those to the next tier, you will see that it's because there is a, a void of peace in our, in our life. So most people have to think anyway, I would say, uh, wait for peace before they obey God. I know a lot of people that, that the, the, the reason that they uh, not resist, but delay coming to Christ or, or giving themselves completely is because they're waiting to see if he truly will manifest peace in, peace in their life. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Christians, I think, sit on the sideline and wait until they have peace. And once they, they think once they have peace, then they'll step into full commitment and fuller, fuller commitment. That's why you see this, this level, entry level of Christianity is really high and then it wanes over time uh, because we keep waiting for something to happen before we get more committed. But the truth of the matter is the scripture is very, very clear with that high level of commitment. Once we are truly trusting and obeying God at a high level, the higher level, the more peace that we're able to experience. Peace then comes after surrender and commitment, not before. And most Christians that I know try to live it in reverse of that. It's like once I have peace, once I feel better about myself, once I feel better about my life and everything gets lined out, then I'll have time, then I'll have money, then I'll have surrender, then I'll have commitment, and I'll be able to do all the things that the Bible commands. But peace comes as a result of saying yes to those things. And it's really important for us to understand that. So as a bonus, as a bonus of our commitment, God gives us peace. Jesus gives us his peace. The Spirit produces peace in us and through us. So peace then is not achieved. Peace is a byproduct. So if you think about your life and the running to and from, hoping and chasing after something that will satisfy, something that take the edge off, something that will numb or mute the pain or distractions in our life, we look for that peace, and I'm just telling you, Peace isn't achieved. Whatever it is that you're pursuing, peace does not come as a result of that. It's a byproduct of living in complete trust and obedience with command and, and committed sacrifice to the God of all peace. So let me sum it up by saying this. Peace is the proof. So if you're wanting to know, am I where God wants me to be? Am I obeying at a level that God wants me to obey? Is my prayers reaching heaven? Does God truly love me? Do I truly love him enough? Am I truly saved? Am I manifesting the fruit of the Spirit? Here is the proof. Are you living at sustained peace? What is it that you are pursuing? That's the proof of whether or not you're in a right relationship with God. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about knowing that you have the blessing and the favor of God upon your life. Are you living at peace? This deep, leveled peace where the circumstances of life cannot alter or affect your way of thinking and the filter that you use to process the rest of the world. 
It's interesting in the Old Testament that the, the meanings for the word peace and salvation are nearly synonymous. So being saved and being at peace are relatively the same usage. But many of us, and I say us, not you, but many of us um, who claim that we are saved and sanctified do not experience peace at a consistent level. So why is it that the God that we serve, the, 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 the Christ that we follow, and the spirit that resides in us, where all three promises peace, why is it that so few of us live in that place of peace? Why is it that true peace seems to be a, a, such a rare trait among Christians? Well, throughout the Bible, almost from beginning to end, language is stretched to distinguish God's true peace from a temporary, transitory peace. Uh, Jesus, as we'll talk near the end of the message, distinguished his peace from the world's peace. Paul talked about a peace that surpasses all understanding. Peter offered a multiplied peace to the early Christians when he wrote in his epistles. So in each, in each case, it's the same. An effort to set divine peace off and above as something different than the peace that the world offers. So the peace that the world offers is very temporary and it doesn't sustain. But the peace that God offers is permanent. The Bible is also clear. You can't make peace, but you can receive it. Peace doesn't belong to you. Peace is a gift given to you. But it has qualifications. So we talk about this unity of purpose in the peace of God, the oneness shared by the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's no discord or no disagreement between them. Only, always mutual glorification. There's never been panic in heaven. And this is what I mean when I talk about the peace that we can have. It's not the absence of war. It's not the ability to, to, to deal with life or to not have to experience pain or disappointment or frustration. That's not what peace is. Peace actually exists simultaneously with trouble. In fact, trouble is what proves that you're at peace, not the absence of trouble. And Godly peace actually deepens with trouble. So the more trouble you have, the deeper and the more rooted the peace that you can experience. But most people try to live life absence from, absent from trouble. So peace then is accepting the complete control of what the Father wills what the Son will do and what the Spirit will, do, will allow us to, to, to be a, a part of in our, in our attitudes and our emotions. So we need the peace of all three. And there is no peace that comes from anywhere without a firm conviction in the sovereignty of God. So how then do we fill our lives with peace? The peace that he shares with the Son and the Holy Spirit, this peace of heaven and extends to earth. So let's go to Isaiah 26. I think it's a pretty strategic place to get started, and so now the message will begin. 
Uh, Isaiah 26 is a song that was written, and uh, they were living in uh, disobedience at the time. Uh, Israel, Judah was. uh, Jerusalem was in uh, disobedience. They were claiming to be God's possession, but they had abandoned faith. They had abandoned hope. They had abandoned joy, were experiencing no joy. Uh, they had abandoned trusting in God and, uh, and obedience in God, and they were searching for a different kind of peace. You see, they were, they were being threatened on many, many sides. And so rather than trusting in the God that they claimed to trust, they began to trust with some of their enemies, some of their other nations like Aram and, and some other places that they had bigger chariots, they had bigger soldiers, and so they, were, they would pay, play, uh, pay uh, tribute to these other kingdoms in, in uh, hope that they would give them some level of protection. And so they were pursuing peace, claiming to be God's people, but sadly they had forfeited all of the favor of God as a result. And so this psalm uh, in Isaiah was written so that God's people would see the need to turn back to him and him alone. And it's important to know the context of the psalm so that you can understand what God is actually trying to teach them. So the result was that politics and personal peace could never, ever satisfy them. So let's look at the third and fourth verses. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You should know this because he trusts in you. So trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord is everlasting strength. I hope that you've been mulling that verse over for the last several days. But I do want to, uh, to kind of outline the verse just a little bit more uh, uh, c- clearly. Uh, and I want to start with some... Uh, uh, language problems with this verse. So it says, you will keep him in perfect peace. And that sounds super cozy, right? We want to be in perfect peace. And a lot of times we read that perfect peace like, okay, God's going to keep us. There's a peace that the world offers, but God's going to keep us in perfect peace. So what is Isaiah actually talking about? And you'll be interested to know that in the Hebrew, there is no word perfect in this verse. It doesn't exist. So where do we get the idea of perfect peace here? Why did the translators in most translations include this idea of complete peace or perfect peace? And it's because there is a double use of the word peace in Hebrew. You know, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. And so uh, here it is, he will keep him in shalom, shalom. Now, interestingly, in Hebrew, there is a vertical line between the two shaloms, which means that they're to be separated. A lot of times there is a redundancy of a word that creates an emphasis. But what this word actually implies is, is that men are multifaceted. Humankind have lots of different aspects of their life. And so what the writers are, what Isaiah is saying here is that the peace that comes from God is available to every facet of your life. That's why he says that it is perfect peace is because it is a peace that touches every fabric of your life, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And so he will keep him in perfect peace, shalom, shalom. So there's no place in your life where God will not add peace, his peace into it. 
So when you read the words in Matthew, uh, in, in it, the word blessed is the word happy, happy. It emphasizes the word happiness. Uh, you see the words uh, mentioned several times, holy, holy, holy. That's for us, holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Holy Spirit. There's this trinity of holiness. It emphasizes the holiness of God. Well, anytime that God shows up and he calls people by name, he says, Adam, Adam, or Abraham, Abraham, or Moses, Moses, or Peter, Peter. This is emphasizing, hey, look at me. That's what Jesus is saying or what the Father is saying when he calls people uh, their name two different times is pay attention. But here, peace, peace, distinguishable from other types of peace. God's peace is different from the world's peace. There is a possibility. I want you to watch this just for a second. Again, this goes back to something that the Lord has been teaching me about the, the trinity of man as well, the body, the mind, and the spirit, and how we are to respond to God in all three of these areas of our life. There is a physical peace that can come. And a lot of people pursue that. And I'm not, I'm not meddling. I'm not judging. I'm not correcting. Uh, and none of those things. Just, it's very important for you to know. I'm not saying that these are wrong things. But in our physical bodies, we feel like from time to time, we need peace. And so we may go to get a chiropractor, or we may know get the massage, or we may go and, 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 and take a vacation, or we may go and do a whole lot of different things, things that bring our bodies some peace and quiet. That's what we need. Sometimes if you've got little kids, you might even just go and shut a door somewhere for some what? peace and quiet because this body needs a break we might sit in epsom salts in a bathtub for a while and we might do lots of different things so that our bodies can have some peace the same thing is true with our mind sometimes we have a, a frustrated mind and so we may take medication or we may uh, become addicted to something uh, to bring us some peace we may uh, find lots of different outlets so that we can just have a state of mind. Some people do yoga or meditation or all kinds of things that we, when our mind is racing and rushing and we're, we can't pay attention to anything, we get distracted in our minds, we just need some peace of mind. And so, you know, when you chase after the world's peace, well, sometimes the world can offer peace of mind. Sometimes the world can offer peace to the body. But there's not an offering that the world has that will offer peace to our spirits. It's, the, it's a unique form of peace. And what this verse is telling us is that when you experience the peace of God, this peace actually informs peace of mind. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace. This peace of mind actually gives relaxation and peace to the body. You see, vacations aren't going to cure our peace. Relationships and emotional support is never going to cure our peace. It'll provide some temporary. But have you ever been on a vacation and come home and need some rest? Have you ever come off a, a, any kind of a dopamine high? And have you ever, and I'm telling you, there's lots of things to be addicted to. Typically, we think of drugs and alcohol and those sorts of things, but you can be addicted to relationships or the, the dopamine hits off of a social media outlet or, or gaming. Or, there's lots of things that we don't see as negative, but they're still just as addictive. 
You ever, a commercial comes on, you reach for your phone, anybody? That's an addiction. That's not just curiosity. Your, your brain is producing things when you're reaching for something because I just can't sit for a second. And we all struggle with different forms of that. But I can tell you, the next commercial comes on is the next reach because it doesn't last for very long. It's temporary. But the peace that comes from a mind stayed on God sustains every other facet of our life. And it's important for us to get that. So the Hebrew word for mind, because that's, that's the condition. You know, God does give us shalom, shalom. A shalom that impacts every other area and every relationship in our life. If, that's the transition word, if their mind is stayed on you. So that word mind is the word yes, sir. I think it's interesting in English. It's not spelled like that in Hebrew, but yes, sir, right? I want to, whenever God shows up and uh, I got a decision to make, if I want to be at peace, here's what I need to do. I need to make sure that my mind is yes, sir, right? Already saying yes. You can just put that in your pocket and use it later. Some of you didn't get that, so somebody that you eat lunch with can explain it. I can tell. But it's, it's what we would call the Hebrew word, yes, sir, actually is like a, a frame of mind. It's a, it's a habit of thinking. It's a way of taking thoughts and directing them, intentionally directing them. And so when he says that your mind is stayed on you, what he's talking about is your mindset or your worldview. If you know what a worldview is, it's the filter that you use to interpret the rest of the world. And so when you are, your mindset, your, your frame of reference, your worldview is uh, interpreting the world. Another way of putting it is to focus your attention. Now, yes, sir, corresponds very closely to the Greek word phreneo, which is the word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this phreneo, this mind, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So when Paul says for them, you need to, ha- you need to maintain the same worldview, the, the same application, the same filter that Jesus himself used as he lived out his life. And so it's, it, it kind of gives Isaiah 26 a little bit more meaning for us to understand what is it exactly that Isaiah is saying if these people who are in rebellion against God can just get their mind right and start seeing things the way that God sees things. It doesn't mean you don't get distracted. It doesn't mean that you don't have frustrations in your life, but it does mean that when you recognize those, you have the freedom to think again and to drive those thoughts captive to Christ. That's what it, that's what it means. It doesn't mean to just live kind of, you know, dancing through the gardens uh, all the time, kind of oblivious to the frustrations of life going around you. What it does mean is to take those thoughts, recognize what they are, and see that God is at work even in the bitter. God is at work even in the difficult. God is always at work, and he's always doing things. God allows us to see that. And if we will keep our mind stayed on you. Now, I want to talk about that word stayed because it's the word samuk. And it's, again, this is not really a word study, but it's important to know what these original words actually means. And this one is especially important because it's a passive participle. And if you read this in English, you will miss it entirely. If you read it in Hebrew, you can't miss it. Samuk is a passive participle, which means that you're not having to be active in this. 
That's the beautiful part because up till now, this sounds like a lot of work. I mean, how am I going to, I'm too busy to keep my mind stayed on God. I mean, I get distracted. I don't know if, it's like, if you're like me, I get distracted super easy. What was it? Oh, yeah. Um, and so when you get distracted, oh man, now I feel guilty and certainly guilt isn't lining up with peace. And so, you know, now, well, I'll just start next January with <laughs> this whole thing. Um, but Samuk being a passive participle means that this is God's part in this for you. God is actually the one doing it. So if you will have your heart right, your mind right, if you will make the conscious choice, I'm going to just cut through all of it, all right? Save us some time. What Isaiah is saying to these folks is if they will wake up every morning and say, God, my mind is yours. You have the freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do and accomplish in my life today. So I belong to you entirely. Take my mind. Can you do that? Can you tell the Lord that this day belongs to you? Highs, lows, doesn't matter. Thorns and roses, doesn't matter. Everything that happens today belongs to you, Lord, so you can have my mind. Help me to see things the way you see things. And throughout the day, you're probably going to experience some distractions. But what if they're not distractions? Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to talk about some freedom that we have that I think we don't recognize. What if they're not distractions? Jesus would wake up early in the morning before everybody else, still dark outside. He'd go to the garden and pray. You know that we have enough evidence of what Jesus prayed to know that Jesus prayed this. Father, I want my life to glorify you today. Whatever it takes, I want my life to glorify you today. And so a woman with the issue of blood walks up to Jesus. Is she a distraction? Well, she would be to us. She would be a distraction to us, but Jesus had the frame of mind that is, well, there are no such things as distractions. I've given my mind to Christ so my mind can be completely devoted to this moment and to be able to offer peace of God to her. The woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus is in the middle of some things and they bring her and throw her in front. For us, a super distraction, but not to Jesus. Because his mind was stayed on God. And what happened is God, the Father, was able to reveal himself to Jesus in ways that we never get to experience because we're too focused on our calendar, too focused on our watch, too focused on our appointments. But when you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, my mind belongs to you, then you're free to get interrupted at Walmart or at work, or wherever you go. And the frame of mind is, hey, this is a God moment. This is a God moment that I would not have seen had my mind, my worldview, not be intentionally taken captive by Christ. And so I'm not trying to get out of the distraction. I'm trying to bring the kingdom into it. Because peace as a gift is one thing, but a peace that God wants, to, God wants to take the peace that is in you and give it to the rest of the world. I hope, that, I hope that this makes sense because all of a sudden, this very, very difficult thing for us to do, all of a sudden, is God's part. You're just a passive bystander in this. Your responsibility is to 
experience the peace of God that he is going to bring into your day. And I'm telling you, you're going to get to the end of the day and you're going to see things that God did for you and through you. And there is nothing like laying your head down at night knowing that God used you today. Did you accomplish your calendar? Maybe, maybe not, but maybe we get better and better at giving our calendars away to him the longer that we live for him. See, what what God will do while we're being passive, what God will do is he will stay your mind on him. He will give you glimpses of himself all through the day. But you've got to be aware of it, and you've got to be looking for him. There's never a moment in your day where God is not willing to use you to reveal his kingdom to a world of brokenness. Not a moment of a day. But if you're unaware of it, there are many days you'll go to bed at night and wonder if you really made a difference at all. If your, if your life even mattered. Why don't I have peace? Well, it's because we're so busy pursuing peace in these two arenas that we're forfeiting the peace that impacts those two arenas for eternity. So when you've submitted your mind to him, you've got to follow him wherever he goes. Now, I'm going to get a little bit mystic here for a moment, but if, I don't know if you've ever been praying. Anybody ever been distracted while you're praying? Will you raise your hand so I don't feel like a loner? All right, so you're praying, you're giving your, your mind to God, and you're glorifying him, and then you're thinking about what's for supper, and right? Anybody? Okay, all right. What is for supper? I don't know. So here, here's the thing. Now, when your mind is stayed on him, again, this is a little mystical, and I'm not apologizing for it, but you're going to have to use the spirit to deduce on this, all right? But based on this verse, there is room that even when we're praying and we've given our mind to him and we're pursuing him, that even in your distraction, it may be that God has you chasing rabbits to get you to a place where you can think about something that you wouldn't have thought. It's very possible that the mind that is distracted is God taking you through pathways to get to a thing that actually might be distracting you from him. But no, I got to pray. I got to get through the day, amen. And you're not, you're not staying your mind on him. You're staying your mind on your praying, which is not the point. The point is to have the mind of Christ. Now, you got to be careful here because you can drift in some things that are not godly. So the, the prerequisite would be is that you're filtering it through his worldview, not, not your own. Are, these are holy distractions, not worldly distractions. So Jesus knew this truth very, very well, and he challenged his disciples, and he, he challenges us too, I think, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Isaiah 26 is saying. But, but rather than seeking it just in your body and just in your mind, we have to seek it in our spirit. So first, a stayed mind, a mind stayed on God, but look also, a heart filled with trust because... He trusts in you. Literally, what that means is because in you, trust is resting. Because in God, our trust is at rest. So trust then 
is the bedrock for peace. You can't have peace without trust. That's what Isaiah 26 is telling us. Peace is the flower that grows from trust's garden. So trusting isn't spiritual fruit. If you go to the fruit of the Spirit, you won't find trust as one of those. Trust is your work. It's a choice that you have to make throughout your day. When you're at that moment of decision where the world is is seeking to steal your peace away, you have to make a choice to trust God, that this distraction is brought into my life by God, that God is at work in this perilous moment or in this thing that I would have never asked for, in this conversation that I was hoping to avoid, in this argument that I never wanted to have. God is at work in that particular moment, and I've got to trust that. I've got to step into that. And then God will give me glimpses of himself. And those glimpses of God bring peace into my life. But if if you resist those things and you're not trusting in God, then you will just live absent from eternal peace. You see, the people of Judah were trusting in human leaders and not in the Lord. And so they lost God's peace as a result of that. Look at uh, Isaiah 26, verses 12 through 14. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. You see that? They had forfeited peace. You have indeed done for us all our works. That's the passive part, O Lord our God. Other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades and they will not arise To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. What they are saying in this song of prayer of returning back to having their minds stayed on him is we have trusted other things and we're sorry. And the things we've trusted are dead. And you, Lord, live forever. So experiencing the peace of God comes as a result of putting our trust in him. And again, I know that we're church people. I know that many of us are here every week and you know that trusting God is important. And I know that you know that peace is important. I know all of that. I want to remind you as we start out this new year of expectation that we've got to trust God at a different level. We don't just trust that we're going to go to heaven. We don't just trust that we'll live forever with him. We got to trust him in every moment of our day and seek to have his, his worldview, his mindset. We got to have his yes, sir, his agreement that what he is doing is better than what I'm doing. And that's the gateway to peace. Even If the thing that God wants contradicts what I want, our objection, or our object, I guess I should say, of of everything is to trust in everything. So, you know, I'm going to draw this to a close in a moment, but what what do you trust in? What what, what are you hoping? I mean, relationships, you know, uh, emotional support, uh, maybe financial support, maybe you know, once you become solvent in your job or, or your money or once I achieve this thing or that thing, then I'll be able to be at peace or once this thing is worked out in my life or once this person starts to do this better, then I'll be at peace or once my kids have grown up, then I can be at peace. Listen, that's not peace. That's selfishness. 
Listen, the absence of peace in your marriage has nothing to do with your spouse. The absence of peace in your parenting has nothing to do with your kids. The absence of peace in your finances have nothing to do with your money. It has to do with where you put in your mind. Because the Lord is at work in all of these things. But you're not looking at him. You're looking out for your own well-being. And, and so what we do is we cash out of marriage or we tap out emotionally from our kids or we, you know, keep seeking a higher paying job or better liquidity or whatever it may be, another home or a bigger car or whatever it might be. We're just pursuing all kinds of things. We're looking for different relationships or different peer groups or a different identity. If I just had more, which Jesus is what it is. It's Jesus. If you can just adopt his mindset and you can see that God is at work. Jesus is looking at the cross and has peace. Hanging on the cross, he asks asks God to forgive those that are with the hammers in their hand. Look at verse 4. Well, let me go back to Proverbs for just a second, <clears throat> where it says, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Hmm. That sounds like Isaiah 26. He will keep Him at perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord is everlasting strength. Everlasting strength. That word strength is in Hebrew where we get the idea of a rock, something firm foundation. Uh, This is in 1776 when our country was formed. There was something else that was formed. One of the greatest hymns of of all time. Rock of Ages. Comes from Isaiah 26. Everlasting strength, the rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. The place that we run to for strength, for stability. God here is telling us that he is always dependable. He will never get caught off guard. There is never a distraction that slips by that he hasn't orchestrated. There's not a moment or a thing in your life that you will ever experience that God has not orchestrated and allowed. And everything in your life, when your mind is set on him, can bring peace. And the only thing that can rob you of peace, and we'll talk about that in just a, in, in just a couple moments in John chapter 14. In fact, let's go ahead and turn... And go ahead and turn over there. John chapter 14, verse 27. So, peace is found when we recognize that God is our fortress. This is why peace and salvation are found as interchangeable. They're they're interchangeable substitutes for each other in the Old Testament. 
God saves, and in that there is peace. But God does not just save our souls. He saves our moments. There is salvation in every moment. There is salvation in every thought, and God will do that if our mind is stayed on him. In fact, you know, what, what is it that Paul says, you know, Jesus is able to, to bring peace to our spirits, and, but also he saves us in our bodies and he saves us in our minds. He gives us a peace that passes our ability to comprehend it, to understand it. And, and what that means is he gives us more peace than you'll ever need. And if we're not experiencing it, then we're doing it wrong. He's not withholding peace. God doesn't withhold peace. So it's the one thing that the Trinity offers clearly, compositely to us. He's not withholding it. You just may be forfeiting it. There's two, there are two pieces, the world's peace and the kingdom's peace. And the peace that God offers us comes from the Prince of Peace. Jesus came in human form to reveal peace to us. And we've been talking about it for a month now in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace for those whose minds are stayed on him. Peace among those who please him, the angel said. In John chapter 14, verse 27, and I'm going to close with this. Jesus said, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, the Bible teaches that peace is something that's imparted. It's something that is left to us. Jesus also said it's separate from the peace that you're pursuing. They were frustrated when Jesus said this. They were distracted. They were disappointed when Jesus said it. And he was raising them to a higher level of understanding of peace. My peace I give to you. You can't achieve it. You can only receive it. I'm sorry that sounds like a cliche. I don't mean for it to. You can't produce it in your life. You can simply sit back passively and allow the Lord to grant it to you. But the condition is that you have to keep your mind Agreeing with the, what God wants to accomplish through your life. It is the only means of peace. Let your heart, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Bible teaches that peace is something that's imparted. Peace is something that only Jesus can give. And the things that can take it away is trouble and fear. But trouble and fear reside in one place, and that is your heart. Your heart, your heart is the reason you don't have peace. Not God's refusal to give it, not your marriage, not your work, not your job, not your circumstance. Those are not the reasons you don't have peace. Jesus offers a better peace than those. Don't let your heart be troubled. And you know how you can keep your heart from being troubled? Set your heart on things above. Guard your heart, for out of it come all the issues of life. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. The heart must be guarded. The heart must be set, and it must be protected, and he is our fortress.
trouble and fear are decisions that you make. But they're not decisions that are made for you. You choose what you allow to trouble you, and you choose what you are afraid of. But I can tell you that if your mind is stayed on him, and you trust in him, and he is your fortress, you will not be afraid, and you will not be troubled. That decision is made there. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So when you start feeling the anxiety and you start feeling the craving for the things of this world and you start feeling the dissatisfaction with the way things are and you're longing for a new January, all that trouble is created and resolved right here. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've said these things that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take what? Heart. Take heart. Be hearted. I've overcome the world. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the peace that's available. We thank you that you've promised it throughout the Old Testament. We thank you that you modeled it for us in the New Testament. And we are grateful that you've planted it within us in our day. And Lord, I think just like the children of Israel had to do in Isaiah 26, they had to repent for trusting everything else. It seems appropriate to me that we would take a moment and repent of trusting everything else. And that we would learn to be peace dispensers. That the peace would flow into us and that peace would flow out of us. And I pray that as our minds are stayed on you, You'd keep us in shalom, shalom. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. And so I pray that as we see you in every moment, as we start out this new year and we try to figure out who our identity is and what it is that we're supposed to be and become, I pray that you would help us to have this mind, this worldview, that we would use your life as our filter for how for how we are to that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we have peace and may we experience goodwill and offer goodwill as we bring pleasure to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me please? I want to I start out this year with just a, a, a time of, of a personal prayer. And I know uh, this message is, as an introduction, kind of all over the place. And we talked about a lot of things today. And, um, you know, lots of distractions with this time of year and all that. But I want us to take all of that and just set it aside. And I want us just to hear what God is saying to us. And, and what I want to do is two things. I don't want us to make a commitment without first experiencing true repentance. And repentance isn't something that you can do. 
Repentance is something that God gives, he says. And so what I want us to pray is that God would give us hearts of repentance. That's what I want us to pray today is that God would help us to become repentant and that we would be sorry for all the things that we've trusted and that he would give us a a quickened spirit so that when things are warring against us and we're tempted to lash out or we're tempted to respond to things uh, instead of living in response to him, that we would recognize that quickly and drive that back to obedience to him. And so I'd like for you to bow your heads, if you will. Don't want you to pray against your will, of course. But if if you would be willing to say, Lord, I, I ask that you would give me a heart of repentance. Help me see the things that I'm trusting when I'm not trusting you. And I pray that we would stop saying that we trust God when we're not. just a moment and just ask him for a a heart a mind that can see a heart that can sense and a spirit that's resurrected you can live at peace beyond your circumstances you can live at peace beyond your relationships in fact it's the only way to alter them is to be able to see them from God's vantage point May this be the year that we are truly set free. Because once, once you've been experiencing God and you've been experiencing faith and hope and joy, boy, then you can really live at peace. And peace is contagious. And just as we close, I want you to also, if if you're convinced I want you just to pray that the Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit to make you acutely aware in every moment of every day that God is at work to be reminded quickly that God is at work that God is up to something in every area of your life. God is up to something. Even the way we think, when we give our minds to him, even the distractions, the way we think can be brought to him and can expose his glory and give us glimpses of himself. Will you just, will you just ask, the, just tell the Lord, I want your mind. I want my mind to be your mind. I want to experience your peace. I'm tired of of chasing after the world's peace. I want your peace. Lord, we're sorry for knowing right and not doing it. Sorry for the sin that has cost us so much, trips us up so often. Sorry for tolerating it for so long. So I pray that you would just help us take a deep breath, a deep breath of your spirit, and just surrender 
and just to become one with you. And may our bodies, our minds, our spirits, that trinity that we are, merge in with your peace. I pray that we would gain our life from seeking yours, our mind from seeking yours, our heart from seeking yours. And above all, Lord, as a result of that, to be able to live at peace. Help us to be peace givers, to be peacemakers. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for these precious, precious promises that you give us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.